0: Welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast, where reverence meets relevance. We are currently in a four-part series titled Miracles, Encounters with Christ. This series will culminate with Holy Week. If you are in the Central North Carolina area between April 1st and Easter Sunday, April 8th, please join us for Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday celebrations. All service dates, times, and locations can be found on our website at www.NewHopeNC.org now here 's this week 's message from our senior pastor Dr. Benji Kelly
1: Good morning how you doing everybody good? Give God a hand. I can tell Good morning. Welcome to New Hope Church. We are thrilled that you are here. Uh, people are still coming in, so make room for those who might come and be a part of us. Welcome to the third installment of our Miracles series, third installment, third uh, Sunday of this series. However, we're looking at the very first miracle of Jesus. It's the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just go ahead and tell you a little bit about where we are going this week. We have... An amazing week in store for us here at New Hope Church. Amen? Amen? Here we go. Baptism today, 3 p.m. Okay? Baptism today looks like God's gonna shine down upon us with beautiful, beautiful weather. I encourage everyone to come out and be a part of that celebration, even if you're not getting baptized. Amen. Um, We're going to be dedicating babies. We're going to be baptizing believers. We're going to be baptizing students. It's at at Central Campus, so Garner, come on over. It's going to be a great day. And listen, guys, if you are like on the edge, like just thinking about getting baptized, I am praying that this morning and today will take you over the edge and plunge you right into the waters of baptism. I believe it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh, uh, that's the first time I've ever had somebody say in a baptism sentence, get her done. I, 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 Ryan, we got a tweet about that, bro. We, uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but you, in a real sense, listen, if you haven't been baptized, baby, you need to get her done. Okay. Uh, the, the, I don't know where today's going to go after that one, but I love it. Um, but come on out, man. There's no need to play. It's one of the most powerful days in the, in the life of a believer. Amen. And the church comes out and celebrates that. We'll have refreshments. We'll have uh, music. It's just one big celebration right here at 3 o'clock. On Thursday, for the first time ever in the history of this church, we're doing Monday Thursday. And I've said over and over, and it's, it's not going to be fancy. I don't, I'm not going to have, you know, there's, there's not going to be music. There's not going to be moving lights. It's just going to be me and a table and a loaf of bread and some wine slash grapefruit juice. And we're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Praise the Lord. And I don't know if one person will come or if 100 or 500, I, I don't know. Um, but I don't care. I'm going to be here Thursday night and I'm going to celebrate Holy Communion on the night that Jesus' uh, antiquity teaches us. Went to the upper room and washed feet and uh, started this mystical sacrament called the Lord's Supper. I hope you'll join me here Thursday night, 7 p.m., just at Central Campus. Then Good Friday. Good Friday rolls around. Man, Good Friday's at New Hope. They've been some of the most powerful days in the history of our church. You see the service times there for Central and Garner. We have three service times here. I should let you know, child care is provided at the first two. And at the, at the third one, uh, it's just for infants, but uh, that's just for you to figure out which service you're going to go to. So maybe if you're single or you're married with no children, that third service is a great service for you to come to. But you can come to any of them. you got both the times there for both campuses. It's going to be an amazing Good Friday night as we celebrate the wrong word, but in a sense we do. We call it good, but it was good at his expense. And we, we, actually, we actually go to the cross in ways that we normally just don't. This is, this is one of those days where we just look at all the goriness and the pain and the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. You don't want to miss it Friday night. Then, hello, Easter Sunday morning rolls around and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a lot. Yeah, you ought to clap for that. You ought to clap for that. Got all these different services. Take your pick. Get your tickets today. Free tickets today. You got to get them. You got to bring them next weekend. Take some for your friends. We're out of tickets at some of the services. So be gracious to those who are working the ticket table. But there are still tickets available at multiple services. So find the one that works for you. All kinds of exciting stuff. It's going to be an awesome week. Amen? Amen. And then after that, after Easter, the Sunday after Easter, but you you probably don't want to know where we're going after that, do you? You do? You want to know what series we're going to? Good, cuz th- there's nothing I love teaching on more other than the gospel than parenting children. Check it out. Here we go. <coughs> Yeah, we, uh, we put the little kitty cat on there just to be inclusive for you cat lovers. Um, man, I'm excited about this series. Three weeks, I'm just going to be teaching on parenting according to what God's word says. You might say, "Well, I don't have kids. guess what? One day you might. You might say, "I've already raised my kids. Guess what? One day you might have grandkids. You need to come alongside your parents, I mean your, your children, and help them raise their kids in the way of the Lord. And anybody else out there who might say, I don't know, but listen, we're a church that we take very, very seriously children's ministry. And so we need to all be on the same page as to how we are trying to raise our kids. Amen? It's going to be a great series. I cannot wait. But hey, that's, that's ahead. Let's get to the passage. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. It's Jesus' first miracle. Isn't it a trip? Come on. Isn't it a trip that Jesus' first miracle is like, Oh, here I am. I am at the party. And he turns water into wine. It's a very, very fascinating truth when you look at Scripture. Um, many, many, many years ago uh, on, the, uh, on the late night show with Johnny Carson. Any old, come on, you can own it. Any old Johnny Carson fans? Johnny Carson was great. Johnny Carson had this little kid from West Virginia on, on the Tonight Show. And the little kid was there because he had rescued some of his friends from a coal mine in West Virginia. And once Johnny Carson started the interview, uh, Johnny and the audience realized very quickly that they were talking to a young boy who was growing up in the church, a boy who was a Christian. And, um, and so the guy talks about that. And, and then Johnny said, Well, since you want to talk about God and, and church, what did you learn last Sunday? in church. And the little boy said, well, we, we studied that passage where Jesus turned water into wine. And the crowd just started laughing. And, he, and you know how Johnny Carson is. Johnny would always fight back the the smile, but he was, he was doing all he could to fight it back. And, and Carson then looks at the boy and says, okay, well, well what did... What did you get from that story? What, what, what did you learn from that Bible story? And you could tell the kid was not ready for that question. So he was a little bit flustered and he, he, he hemmed and hawed and stammered a little bit. And then finally he said, well, we learned that if you're going to have a wedding, you might as well invite Jesus to it. Jesus shows up, man, and it's like the party goes bad, and Jesus turns things around. Now, before we start to unpack the passage, let me tell you two incredibly pertinent points about miracles in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, miracles were referred to as signs. As what, church? Signs. Signs. It's the only gospel that really looks at Jesus' miracles and, and refers to them as signs. In John's gospel, there are seven signs. And signs, according to just Johannine theology, the theology of John who wrote the gospel of John, the signs, according to John, were meant for two very important reasons. Number one, signs or miracles were meant to reveal the glory of Christ. that that was the purpose. The signs were, if you will, directional signs that were to reveal the glory of Christ. And secondly, and equally as important, they were intended to create faith in Jesus. Reveal the glory and create faith in Jesus. Now, that's going to be very, very important. We will come back to that in the end. But the way I get this is you just... I mean, John just comes right out and says it. John chapter 20. Don't turn there because I know I've already got you in John 2. Stay in John 2. I'm just, I'm just framing the gospel for a moment. In John chapter 20, the word of the Lord says this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs. Notice it. Miraculous signs. In the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may... What? Help me out, church. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Miracles, signs according to John's gospel, had a very key purpose. Now let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1. If you're ready to unpack the word of the Lord, say amen. Amen. Good. Let's read this out loud together. John 2, 1. Here we go. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Let's continue. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, let's just pause for a second. Let's just pause for just a second before we keep reading. Weddings are a big deal. Weddings are a big deal in our culture. If you're a woman in here, chances are you started thinking and romanticizing about your wedding day early on. Come on, ladies. You know you did. I see the smiles popping on your face right now. My daughter, one of the traditions I do is Anna Grace goes to um, almost all the weddings I do. She'll go to the rehearsal, and Amy Lynn will go to the wedding, or Amy Lynn will go to the rehearsal, and Anna Grace will go to the wedding. And after the weddings, we talk about the weddings. And by the time that little girl gets married, she will have seen every possible idea. <laughs> like, when she, 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 we'll, we'll leave a wedding, we'll be walking through the car. She'll go, no. it's not it, Dad. And we'll unpack it, we'll reflect upon it. And she, weddings are a big Deal, and thankfully, uh, thankfully, I haven't messed up too many weddings. I mean, besides having fun and plucking olives across the floor, uh, <laughs> as you might recall a few weeks ago. By the way, the wedding that I went to a few weeks ago, um, the the Twitter traffic just heated up, and everybody was telling me to to just pluck an olive across. The floor. We were in Angier, North Carolina. I'd never been there at this place called the Villa. It's this castle. It was fancy smancy too, just like the one in Charleston. And despite all of you encouraging me to do so, I could not pluck the olive all across the floor. I just I couldn't bring myself to doing it. But thankfully, I, ha- I haven't messed up too many weddings. I know a pastor who was um, performing a wedding and he's up here with the bride and the groom and it was the groom's second marriage. And The pastor had married the groom for the first marriage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it came time to to do the vows, and he referred to the second wife by the name of the first wife. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, baby. It was on like Donkey Kong you talking about looking for a cave to crawl in. And I just sat there and just smiled. I'm glad it's you and not me, brother. <laughs> it was awful. Weddings, though, man, weddings are a big deal. Now, the passage says, on the third day. What does that mean? What that means is Jesus and his disciples and the wedding guests would have traveled, most of them, but particularly Jesus and the wedding guests, would have traveled three days to get to the wedding. Weddings were a big deal. They traveled by feet. They traveled on camels. They traveled long, long distances. And when they got to the wedding, it wasn't like our westernized weddings. And listen, we still, you know, we do weddings big in America, but we do weddings. And at best, that bad boy lasts about an hour, hour and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. Weddings in the Middle Eastern world lasted a week. Why? No joke. It was a week-long pâté. And Jesus and his disciples show up at the wedding. And they're there. And there's huge expectations in that culture when it comes to weddings. And they show up there. And look at what John 2, 3 and 5 says. Let's read this out loud. The party's going fine until this happens. When the wine was gone. Now, for some of you, that's not a big deal. Like, you don't, you don't drink wine, and if you do, a you, you little sip, you're fine. For some of you, that's not a big deal. But for others of you, that's a big deal, right? I was at a wedding not long ago. This was like three weddings back. And the um, the father of the bride apologized three times, three times, for deciding not to serve wine at the wedding. And I wanted to say, dude, if you would just stop apologizing about it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. He kind of felt so guilty for not providing wine. For some of you, that's not a big deal. For others of you, that's a very big deal. But listen, in the Middle Eastern culture, that was a huge deal. In the Middle Eastern culture, the groom's side of the family was responsible for providing the wine for the week-long wedding. And if he didn't, or if he ran out of wine, he would be stereotyped. He would be ridiculed. Listen, no joke. And in some cases, he would be sued. So the Bible says, when the wine was gone, meaning there's a problem. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine. Now, get ready for this next response. Jesus replied, woman. (laughs) Why do you involve me? Woman. Woman. Why do you involve me? I mean, come on, come on. If you are honest with yourself, that image of Jesus does not fit into your worldview. Come on, come on, come on. Some of you grew up with that surfy, sweet picture of Jesus in your Sunday school class, and that dude, though Jesus didn't look anything like that dude, that dude, that dude would have never said in your mind's eye, Woman! That guy would have said, Oh, thou mother dearest. I am so thankful that you traveled nine months on a camel to give birth to me. Thank you for including me in your problems. Let me see what I can work out. Not woman! (laughs) Why do you involve me? It's an incredible passage. But before we go um, framing Jesus in too bad of a lie, because listen, Jesus, this was not as rude as it sounds. Let me say just two things about this before we continue in the text. This is the word, when you study the original language, this woman, it's the same word that Jesus actually used in John 19, 26, and 27 when he was hanging on the cross and he looked down and he said, Woman, behold your son. And he said, Here is your mother. It's, it's the same word. So it's, in the translation, it might sound a little uh, little mean, little hard, Maybe come on, let's be honest. A little rude to his mother, but it's it's really not. The second thing I'd want to say to you: is this what Jesus is basically saying to Mary is, listen, I am now at the point where my ministry is beginning, and my calling is to listen to the voice of my Father, not my earthly mother. That's exactly what is unfolding. Here, John 5.19, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father, what church? Doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So, so Jesus is basically saying, hey, woman, why do you involve me in this? I'm here, I'm starting my ministry. The voice of the Father is what I listen to now, not your voice. Why do you include me in this problem? And then I love what Mary did. Love what Mary did. Mary did what any good mother would do. Mary just turned away. Mary's like, I'm getting out of this conversation. She looks at the servants and she says, just do whatever he tells you to do. (laughs) Just do whatever he tells you to do. And at that point in time the Bible says that Jesus looked over there and he saw six jars or as one person early this morning around the stage said vases, Six jars. Holding, the Bible says, anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons of water for cleaning, for washing. And Jesus said here's what I want you to do. Fill them up with water. And so they filled them up with water. The best we can tell, listen guys, the best we can tell around 160 to 180 gallons of water.
0: Wow.
1: They filled the jars up. And then the Bible says they went to each jar and they took and they filled the cups up, and lo and behold, what they had before them was exquisite, aged, fine wine. And the celebration continued, continued. <laughs> oh, Unbelievable miracle. Amen. I mean, guys, remarkable. And, and, and Jesus was like, "Don't even include me in this problem." And what I what I realized this week, as I studied this passage, afresh and anew, is I realized that. The miracle that Jesus performed, write this down in your teaching notes. The miracle that Jesus performed had everything to do with the expectations that were involved with the wedding and the wedding party and the guest and everything else. Expectations. I mean, the first expectation. The people had journeyed a long way. Some three days, some four days, some two days, some probably weeks. And they had expectations that there would be food, fine food, and fine drink at the wedding. They had expectations. The second expectation that I realized when I studied the passage today is that Jesus' mother had expectations. She expected Jesus to do something about it. She knew who he was, she knew what he could do, she had raised this boy. And so she had expectations, and she didn't understand that the third expectation that I see just bubbling up from the text is that Jesus had expectations. And Jesus' expectations was not to be brought into this uh, dilemma. Jesus' expectations were clear. His expectation was to listen to the voice of the Father and fulfill the calling, the ministry of lordship, king of kings, lord of lords, for the remainder of his life, and then go to the cross and die. For you and for me. Expectations, were just, they just ripple all over this passage. And some of you are here today and, and the truth is you might have some expectations. Some of you are here today and you're expecting a child. Great, great expectations. Some of you are here, and listen, you're still expecting breakthroughs in your life. You want a breakthrough in your relationships, maybe a breakthrough in your vocational life, maybe a breakthrough in your parenting. So when I mentioned that series earlier, your heart kind of fluttered because you got excited. Some of you are here, and you're still applying the favor series that we were in before this, and you're starting to experience favor. I wish I could share with you the stories that come in. Guys, it's not really weekly. It's almost daily of God's people who are starting to appropriate God's principles and they are experiencing nothing less than the favor of God. Personally, I'm expecting an, uh, an amazing Holy Week. Like I am fired up about this week and all the activities. Some of you are here and you might be expecting this or you might be expecting that. We all have expectations. Here's my question to you. What unmet expectations are you dealing with? It's in your teaching notes. What unmet expectations are you dealing with, hey, maybe you're a teenager here, or maybe not you're teenager, maybe you're an adult, and, and you're expecting to see the blockbuster movie Hunger Games. Maybe you're a teenager and you're expecting to see it, and your parents are telling you you're not going to be able to see it. Hey, I got good news. You want to see Hunger Games? Come on over to my house and watch my five kids. That's some Hunger Games. <laughs> you haven't seen Hunger Games do you see my four boys live life. Okay? Some of you ladies are here, and you're expecting to find a husband. Some of you are here, and, and, and you're expecting breakthroughs at work. Some of you guys, you might be here, man, and you're expecting to find your spouse. You're, you're looking hard, and you really want to find her. Some of you are expecting and, and even dreaming about winning the lottery this weekend. Be truthful. How many of you bought a lottery ticket? <laughs> oh, I didn't expect that. Raise your hand over there, in Garner. How many of you? How many of you bought a lottery ticket at the coffee house? I'm sure there are hands popping up, up there as well. I'm probably going to talk about that in a little bit. By the way. No, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to beat you up over it. In fact, I pray you win it, and then you tie it to this church.
0: Just keeping it real.
1: Just keeping it real. <laughs> oh, my Lord. But all of us have expectations. Some of you are still expecting, because I cast vision for this in January, you're still expecting 2012 to be a banner year for you. And you should be. And what I drop by here to tell you this morning is that there is this direct correlation Between the extent to which I have expectations from God to show up and strut His stuff in the miraculous and the extent to which He actually does it. Did you get that? I don't think you got that. There is a direct correlation between the extent to which I expect God to show up and strut His stuff and do the miraculous in my life. There is a direct correlation between that and the extent to which He actually does the miraculous in my life. And in this passage, expectations are bubbling up, and Jesus had no intention of getting involved, but the expectations caused him to do so. Write down these few things that I want to talk to you about expectations and miracles. Again, it is in your teaching notes. Here's the first one. It's not the best news, but hey, I like to keep it real around here and be truthful with you. Some of you would uh, wish this was not the case, but this is the case, and i got to tell you, number one, recognize that things may get worse. Hello. Before God makes them better. Truly, truly. Things may get worse in your life if you're wanting a miracle in this area or that area or this relationship or that relationship or in whatever arena of your life. I've got to be truthful with you and let you know that the Bible teaches that sometimes things get worse before God makes them better. Amen. Joseph. Joseph. Joseph had to go to prison before he could be exalted to a place of leadership in the kingdom. David, the great David, who had been promised, listen, you are to be the king of Israel. David, who had been anointed, found himself in a dark, cold cave before he was exalted to be the king of Israel. And Peter, Peter, who we'll study later this week... Peter had to fail miserably before he could then preach sermons whereby 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. Sometimes things get worse before God makes them better. It's not the best news in the world, but it's still good news. I mean, I think about Holy Week. I hope you're going to get really caught up in the the biblical narrative of Holy Week this week. Please, don't miss a single service. But what you'll see on Friday... (laughs) it got it got bad it got way worse if you will even for jesus before god the father hello raised him from the dead on the 3rd day have you noticed that our god is a third day working god church have you noticed that our God shows up when we need him to show up? And it might not be on our timeline, but God shows up. As one tradition says it frequently, and I've always loved this. Listen, God is never early. God is never late. But God is always on time. Sometimes things get worse before God makes them better. You say, give me a verse, Pastor. 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5, 10, out loud. Ready, church? Go. After you have suffered a little while, God will restore you and make you firm. See it? See it? After you have suffered a little while. See, if you got your Bibles open, church, circle verse number 3 and then draw an arrow to verse number 10. See, the question for you and I is, how do we get from verse 3 where the wine is gone, baby? How do we get from verse 3 where the finances are gone or the relationship is gone or the joy is gone or my contentment in life is gone or my purpose in life is gone? How do I get from verse 3 to verse 10 where the word of the Lord says, Jesus performed the miracle and the people at the party kind of freaked out because they said, "Hey, most people most people serve the good stuff first and save the cheap stuff after everybody's a little inebriated, if you will. But you you save the best till last. How do you get from verse three to verse ten? Well, I'm going to tell you. Number two, number two. If the first thing is recognize that things may get worse before God makes them better. Number two, you got to look to Jesus for solutions. Hello. You gotta look to Jesus for solutions. Don't lose hope. Whoever you are today, don't lose hope. Look for Jesus to provide the solution to your needs. Our problem in our culture is that we have this tendency to look to all these other things. We love to look to pop psychology, and I'm not not an enemy of pop psychology. We love to look to science, and I'm not an enemy of science. We love to look to all these temporary fixes and sedate our problems with all of these things. And the clear teaching of this particular passage is, listen, if you look to Jesus for your solution, though things might get worse before God makes them better, if you look to Jesus, he will always, always come through, and you will not be let down either in this world or the world to come. You got to look to Jesus for your solutions. By the way, talking about the lottery, I told you I'd circle back up to it. They they got a winner, right? They got a winner, right? I heard. I don't know this. A Maryland person? A man or a woman? Huh? Three. You guys know about this stuff way too much. Three, okay? Check this out. Those three that won the lottery, what was it? 640, 680? 640. <laughs> the, 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 I'm so glad you're here. The 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 um the the three who won the six hundred and forty million dollars, check this out. They still cannot afford, nor can they buy. The very thing that their soul desperately needs the most. I.e. abundant life, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life with God forever. Only, only Christ can give us that. All the money in the world, beloved, cannot give you what Jesus gives you. When you look to Jesus to be the solution to your problems. So you look to him. Unbelievable what the scriptures teach about this principle. Look at what John 16 24 says. I love this. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be what? Come on, church. Will be complete. Your joy will be complete in Jesus, not in your chances to win the lottery. By the way, before you spend too much money on your lottery tickets, I heard this the other day. I don't know this, sure. I just heard it on the news. Your chances of winning the lottery um, are, are you have a better chance of being struck by lightning twice and making two hole in ones and a round of golf. <laughs> Get you some of that. Um, but hey, it's still, you know, still, it's still your choice. Expectations and miracles. So we recognize that things may get worse before God makes them better. We look to Jesus for solutions. Here's a key one. I've been coming back to this thing over and over and over. Look to Jesus. That's for solutions. Number two, here's the third one. Obey what Jesus says to do. Yeah. I, I don't know why God's been just, he just kept bringing me back to this over the last couple months. I guess if you could, if you could say what has been the one overarching theme of the first couple months of 2012, here's what it is. It's, it's obedience. It's obedience. And I've been careful to point out every single time, listen, you are not saved by your obedience. You are not saved by anything you do, church. You're not saved by how much you attend church. You're not saved by how many life groups you were in. You're not saved by how much money you give. You're not saved by loving your neighbor. You were saved only by the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you. And you were saved by the fact that God raised him from the dead. And he has promised you eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to bet on the one man who overcame death. That's the gospel. That's what you're saved by. But listen... The, the, the danger in the church is that because that is so true, the church has been guilty, therefore, of not talking about the need and the necessity of obedience to tap into the abundant life that God wants to give you. And so the Spirit has just been impressing upon me over the last few months. Just drill down on this concept of obedience. It is so important. There is a direct correlation, listen, between my obedience and the extent to which God shows up and struts his stuff in the miraculous realm in my life. Are you with me, church? Yeah. Did you notice this? John 2 5, Jesus' mother, when she says, I got to get out of the conversation, Jesus' mother basically said, Hey, hey, just do whatever he says to do. Just do it. Understand this, and this is really, really important. This principle of obedience. The Bible says this in James 2, 17 and 18. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what, church? It's dead. James says this, I will show you my faith by what I do. Okay? Obedience. In other words, you can come to church, you can say you believe all day long, but if you are not willing to put your faith into action, the Bible says your faith is dead. Some of you say you want God to show up and supply the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with in holy matrimony. So we have a lot of singles in this church. Some of you are like, I'm wanting God to to do the miraculous and give me that wonderful mate that you've dreamed of all your life. And yet the truth is, you date non-believers and you often find yourself waking up in the bed with somebody. See the disconnect? You say you want God to show up in your financial world. And you're wanting God to show up and do the miraculous. And you bought the lottery ticket. And I guarantee you, some of you prayed, Lord, if I win, I'm going to tithe. <laughs> you, you know you did. And you, 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 you say, God, you, know, you want God to show up in the, in the financial world. And yet, you refuse to obey God's biblical teaching on the tithe. And I've said it before, and I've found it to be true in my life. Listen, God can do more with my 90% than He can with my 100% when I don't honor Him with the tithe. It's, it's a principle. And, and we don't break God's principles. We really just break ourselves when we don't obey them. Some of you say you want God to give you Christian friends. You really look for authentic Christian community. But yet, you don't get involved in Christian environments outside of Sunday morning worship to find Christian community like life groups or some of our other ministries around here. Serving and doing this and doing that where you can really do life with other believers. Some of you say you want healthy relationships with your kids. You really want that. I mean, you long for that. But the truth is, you bust your butt like seven days a week. And by the time you get home, you are so exhausted. There's no energy left in that final energy tank, you know. And you just, you just collapse on the couch. Or you collapse in the recliner. And the kids are pulling on you. And they're wanting this and, and they're wanting that. And, and it's not your fault. You're just too tired. You, you, haven't, you haven't obeyed the rhythm of life that God has set forth for us to, yeah, sure, work, yeah, yeah. But take a Sabbath and 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 honor our spouses and our kids. Some of you are here, and you want, listen, you really, really, really want an intimate relationship with your spouse. I know you do. And ladies, you're not the only ones who want it. We men want it too. We're just not as good at articulating it as you are. But we want it. And you desperately want intimacy in your marriage. But, you know, For the last few months, you haven't even considered taking advantage of this great date night challenge we've given you. And and it doesn't have to be during this series. And You haven't even considered really dating your spouse. When was the last time you got a sitter and and just went out? When was the last time, hey, maybe you say, I can't afford a sitter. When was the last time you put the kids to bed and had a date night at home with candles and music and, and, and good food? What was the last time when was the last time you you, took, you got a sitter for a couple of days and you got away with your spouse? I mean, you, just the two of you. And you, and you got away. There is a direct correlation between my obedience and the extent to which God unleashes miracles in my life. You know what's you know what's fascinating to me? What's fascinating to me, and nobody talks about this. Pastor, I've, I've never heard anybody teach on this when they, when they teach in, the, in this particular passage. Nobody ever talks about the fact that when they came to Jesus and the wine was gone, nobody ever mentions the fact that Jesus was not going to perform the miracle. Woman, why do you bother me in this? Jesus was not going to perform the miracle. Mary says, hey, just do whatever he says to do. Obedience came across the radar screen. Jesus said, all right, go fill the the jars up with water. And they did, and Jesus performed the miracle. You see the case I'm making? There, There was obedience, and Jesus came through and performed the miracle. What are you not obeying that today you need to begin obeying? Just let that settle in. In what area of your life are you not obeying a teaching or a biblical principle that you need to start obeying before you walk out of this place today? That's the question for you, church. That's the question for me. Expectations and miracles. First, you got to recognize that things may get worse before God makes them better. Secondly, look to Jesus for solutions. Third, obey what Jesus says to do. And here's the fourth thing, and I'm done. Enter into the joy of his salvation. Right in the word joy. Now, now, let me just say something to you. I understand that some of you are here today and you come from traditions. You come from traditions where the subject of alcohol was just taboo. I told you about the little old elderly lady at the last church I served who struggled with this passage of Scripture. And when I asked her what she thought Jesus should do, she unashamedly said, well, if he had any sense, he would have turned it into sweet tea. (laughs) Seriously, seriously. I said, bless your heart. Do you you know what bless your heart means in the South? Anyway, (laughs) if you're from the North and somebody says bless your heart, it's not a compliment, beloved. (laughs) Some of you are from traditions where, where the subject of alcohol was and is taboo. Some of you have been sitting here today and you've kind of struggled with the fact that I'm teaching on the passage number one. Number two, you've struggled with what Jesus did. Um, number three, you struggle with the fact that I got a chalice of wine on the table. And it's actually grape juice, by the way. So don't come try to sip it between services. <laughs> but, 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 but some of you, come on, come on. Some of you, and, and what I would say to you is that you have, you have too narrow of a view of the subject matter of alcohol, number one. Number two, what's really, really important is for you to step back from what you've been taught for just a moment, step back from it, and at least just recognize what the Bible says. The Bible says very, very clearly, unequivocally clear in Scripture, that drinking is not a sin, okay? Now hear that. The Bible says drunkenness is a sin. Now, some of you are here, when I say, drink is not a sin, you're like, woo yeah, let's party, get it done. Right, 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 right. You need to hear the second part of that. Because others of you are like, all, all alcohol bad. You shouldn't touch it. You touch it, you get near it, you even smell it, it's a sin. Right, right. And so you need to hear the first part. Drink is not a sin. But those of you who drink too much, and there are a lot of you in here, God help us. Garner, I hope, Coffee House, I hope you're enjoying this as much as everybody else is. (laughs) Martin Luther. Martin Luther, and I'm not saying Martin Luther was right, okay? He's just a person. This is not scripture. But Martin Luther had a great quote. He said, drinking wine is from the Lord, getting drunk is from the devil. That's, That's biblical, okay? So if you're here and you struggle with this subject of alcohol... On either side of the spectrum, I'm not poking you. I'm not making fun at you. This is a very serious subject. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people die from alcohol consumption. Yeah. Yeah. Last I heard, and it's been a long time, I don't even know if the stat's accurate anymore, but it, it, it was the number one killer among teenagers. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, it's very, very serious. We're to obey the law of the land. If you're a young person in here, you shouldn't drink till you're 21 anyway because that's the law of the land. That's biblical. Okay. We obey the law of the land. But if you're an adult and you can have a responsible drink, the Bible does not call that sin. If you're here and you cannot have a responsible drink and you get drunk, the Bible calls that sin. And you need to take it seriously and you need to confess it today and you need to repent of it today and you need to get help or let us help you get help. But, but, my, but my point in closing is this. We need to step back and actually understand, listen, that in the Bible, you can read the Old Testament. In the Bible, the abundance of wine was seen as a blessing of God, and the lack of wine was seen as a curse from God. Here's a few passages of Scripture. Isaiah 16.10 says this, Joy and gladness are taken away from the orchards. No one sings or shouts in the vineyard. No one treads out wine at the presses. For I have put an end to shouting. Notice the joy. It's gone. Okay? Now look at what Isaiah 55.1 says, Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. See? See? The prophet turns and starts looking to the the glory of God and what's going to happen. And, And so the lack thereof was seen as a curse. The joy and the shouting was gone. But the abundance thereof was seen as the blessings Of Almighty God. I could give you verse after verse after verse after verse. So there is this sense in the word, listen, that wine represents the abundance and the blessing of God. And in John 2, what we find is that the joy giving wine, even the teetotalers among us, you need to understand that in this context, the joy giving wine at the wedding had run out, it was a problem. But if you leave here today, here's my word of warning to you. If you leave here today basically going, wow, water to wine, you've missed the point. You've missed the big point of the passage. The wine in the passage, the wine in the Bible is what we, we might call a little J joy. Remember, we're talking about signs. I told you I would come back to this. In John's gospel, we're talking about miracles that are signs. And what did I tell you that the signs in John's gospel do? They do two things. One is they clearly display the glory of Christ. Secondly, they invite you to have faith in Christ. What John's gospel is teaching is that all these little J joys in life, come on, wine consumed responsibly, wonderful vocational life that is fulfilling, A marriage that is fulfilling and God-honoring. Parenting that is fulfilling and God-honoring. Recreation, even the great outdoors. What the Bible is teaching us is that all these little J joys are traces. God-given traces that are supposed to point us as directional signs, if you will, to the ultimate joy giver in life, and his name is Jesus Christ. That is what the scriptures are teaching us today. Listen, church, when the joy of wine runs out, hello, Jesus steps in. When the fulfillment of all these little j joys, because if you're honest with yourself, you will admit they're great. You take the greatest things of this world. They're good, but they ultimately run out. They ultimately, listen, listen. They ultimately leave us wanting. And what the passage of John chapter 2, the famous miracle of Jesus turning water to wine teaches us is that all these little traces, all these little small j joys are worthless. Listen, listen, listen. Unless, unless they point us to the capital J joy-giving God who gave himself in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen. That is the glory of God. That is the goodness of God. So this, this miracle calls us today not, not to celebrate wine per se, But to celebrate the fact that God has been so good, that he has given us Jesus, so that when every other joy or every other hardship in life runs out and we get to our wits end, that is when Jesus steps in and struts his stuff and gives us the ultimate, ultimate (laughs) desire-fulfilling God who meets our deepest needs and steps in and does the miraculous. So no, things might get worse before God makes them better. But you look, church, you look not to alcohol, not to drugs, not to materialism, not to anything else. You look to Jesus for solutions. You obey, obey what he says to do and enter into the joy of his salvation. And that that is what cracks open, if you will the miracle-working God in your life. Amen? Let's pray together, all heads bound, eyes closed. Let's enter into a moment of just just stillness and worship before the Lord. Many of you are listening to this message right now, and you feel the weight. You feel the weight of the world pressing down upon you, unmet expectations. God, the, the truth is, Lord, we have so many... Erroneous expectations. So many of them are built upon the things of this world and not the truth. So that when the relationships don't meet your expectations, or the job doesn't meet your expectations, or the marriage, or the parenting, The truth is you are left broken and hurting and sad when in reality, beloved, you have put your hope in the wrong things. You have put your ultimate hope, your ultimate peace in the expectations of this world. The Bible says turn to Jesus. The Bible says give him the credit for your life. Give him the credit for what he is doing and what he will do. Those of you who are feeling the weight of those expectations, you need God's help. You are looking for your solution today. But many of you came here today and you're looking in all the wrong places. At all of our campuses, if you are here today and, and you have unmet expectations and your heart hurts over these things, would you just raise your hands just right where they are, just unmet expectations, just all heads... Heads bowed, eyes closed. Right, Lift them up. Wow. Lift them up. All of our campuses, Coffee House, Garner, just raise your hand. Hands all over this place. God, would you show up? Would you work a miracle? Father, there are many who are struggling under the weight of these expectations, and they need you, God. They just declared that by raising their hands. Father, there are others here, and, and they couldn't raise their hand, but the truth is they need you as much as the rest of us. Father, would you do it big in their life? Would you show them what they need to know? Would you, would you unleash miracles as they apply the teaching of scriptures into their lives? God, would you show them what steps of obedience they need to follow through with so that you can deliver just the right miracle for them? God, if we learn anything from this passage, we learn that, that you show up in the ordinary everydayness of our lives for things such as a wedding, and you are willing to to unleash the miraculous, God, would you do something great in their lives? With heads bowed still and eyes closed, here's a second question. There are some of you here today, and you're listening to this message, and you recognize, man, you're just hurting. You're trying to keep everybody from knowing it. You're hiding it. You're trying to fix it. You are looking to yourself to solve the problems. And there is only one thing that you need to do right now. It's the same thing I did on October 23rd, 1988. You're here and the truth is you've never given your life to Christ. You've never invited Him in to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. You've been playing games. Maybe you did it one time and it didn't really mean anything. So, at all of our campuses, those of you who are ready, you know that this is your moment to commit your life to Christ. You're tired of playing games, you're tired of trying to hide it. At all of our campuses, would you just raise your hand, just right where you are? Just raise your hand if you want to accept Christ. Just lift your hands up. Yes, you over here, you over here, you, sir. Make eye contact with me. I'd love to look at you, ma'am. Bless you. You back here, brother, right here. You right here, brother, in the back. At our campuses. I trust by faith that, that hands are popping up there as well. Father God, would you would you move miraculously? Lord, I think the greatest miracle that you still perform is the miracle that you do when you come into the heart of a person who opens his or her life to you and they ask you to forgive them of their sin and you declare that you are my child you are my son you are my daughter and you will spend eternal life with me forever God thank you for that miracle if you raised your hand and even if you didn't and you, you want to receive Christ just say Lord Jesus come into my heart today Lord Jesus I've blown it I've tried to find solutions in all the wrong places I thank you for dying on the cross for me I thank you for shedding your blood for me Come in and forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life, abundant life, John ten ten. that starts right here and right now, Lord. Help me live for you. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, beloved, and you just prayed that and you just raised your hand, welcome to the family of God. The Bible says you're a brand new person inside. Brand new life. Dad, that's the greatest gift you can give your family. Mom, that's the greatest gift you can ever give your family is to to live your life fully surrendered to Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for worship. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the fact that you're changing lives. Thank you for the fact that right now in the the Bible, Luke 15 says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing because all all of these sinners have repented and they've come home. We love you. We honor you, Lord God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Guys, some of you had your eyes closed, hands popped up all over here. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. At all of our campuses, praise God for you. Welcome to the family of God. Let's stand and continue to worship.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.NewHopeNC.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.